0: Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a leading movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Kanisha, and this week, guest podcaster Sophia, Madeline, and I spoke with Anuj Bhandari, Network Coordinator for the Restorative Justice Initiative and an overall warrior for all things restorative. Anuj is a community organizer with passions for the relationship between community education and the transformation of harm. He focuses on exploring alternatives to, diversions from, and the elimination of, the carceral state. He is first and foremost an artist, creative storyteller, and a visionary who believes deeply in art as a process to ask quiet questions publicly. Anuj asks... What does it mean to dream of a world that can address harm and healing and how do we bring it into existence? In a landscape in which people are getting further and further from one another, how do we humanize one another and do so in anti-racist ways? He asks, how might we shift resources and society differently if we recognize that harm is often about needs not being met? What if we meet people who have committed crimes with belonging rather than isolation and help them know that they don't need to do this alone? Anuj helps us understand that storytelling can help people burst through the binary of bad and good with the criminal justice to believe in something else and to get beyond who did that to instead ask, what do you need? He helped us understand that being an artist is a way you move through the world and infuse curiosity and wonder into everything you do. It comes with responsibility to bring that more into the world. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, my name's Kanisha. I'm a rising junior at Stuyvesant High School in New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, a junior facilitator at YVote, being a part of the Criminal Justice Action Group, I'm really interested in discussing criminal justice reform and different movements, especially at the community level. An issue that my peers and I have discussed really heavily is the school to prison pipeline since it's so prevalent in communities in New York. And I also work on some restorative justice initiatives. So I'm really excited to you know do a deep dive into the intricacies of restorative justice today,
2: as well as the projects that you've worked on. Hi, my name is Madeline. I'm a rising junior from Fort Hamilton in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And I actually recently participated in the restorative justice training program that was offered through the Department of Education at my school, alongside teachers and other administration and other student leaders at our school. And so that was really an interesting experience that I had never been exposed to before. And that kind of opened my eyes into being interested in the kind of work that you're doing. And I think it's also really cool how you tie that in with playwriting and storytelling and all these different forms of art. I think it's really cool and inspiring. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about that.
3: I'm Sophia. I am a rising junior at Frank Sinatra School of the Arts in Queens. Like Kanisha, I am a Y voter and I am a part of the Criminal Justice Action Group and I'm actually as well very interested in the school to prison pipeline as it is one of the major things that first got me into criminal justice and was kind of like my personal pipeline into expanding more on not just criminal justice but overall activism in general and I'd like to talk about how that that connects to other aspects of the juvenile justice system as well as the overreaching criminal justice system and how we can reform that. And I'd also like to learn more about restorative justice
4: Hey, everybody. My name is Anuj. I work in restorative justice. I currently work between two organizations. Um, one is Restorative Justice Initiative, and I work as their network coordinator. And really what I do there is I work to build this city-wide network of restorative justice practice. I think often when we hear about it, we hear about restorative justice specifically in terms of alternatives to the school-to-prison pipeline, alternatives to like exclusionary and punitive things that exist within in our criminal legal system. The starting point for me with restorative justice is always community. Restorative justice really has its roots in indigenous tradition. And before it was even called restorative justice, it's really just like a way of being together and sharing community and an understanding that harm and healing, those are things that impact all of us on a daily basis. And so what does it mean to dream of a community that can respond to harm, that can hold harm, that can heal people. What does it What does it mean to like dream of that world? What does it mean to put words to that world and name it, and then say, okay, how do we bring that into existence? And so, restorative justice initiative is one of the spaces that I'm in, and then I also um, work with this organization called Build Up on a project that's specifically looking at depolarization around race and politics, and we're really saying, like, how do we use restorative approaches? How do we use approaches of storytelling to really humanize people across lines of polarization across the United States, right? In a landscape where people might be getting further and further and further away from one another, what are our calls for humanization? And how do we line those calls with what we understand as anti-racist action, as acts of liberation, as acts of freedom? I know it was named that I'm an artist. I first and foremost in this world consider myself an artist and just think that restorative justice is really creative work. You know, it's building new spaces, it's building new communities, it's building new societies and, and doing that through like what we already have within us. And I think art is so much about that. It's like, well, what are the stories within you? How do those stories alone provide like a roadmap or or guidance towards what can come next to what we can do next?
1: Why restorative justice? Why community organizing? What about this work really drew you in and just kind of kept you here?
4: I grew up in youth leadership and community organizing spaces. And so uh, I think for me, I like didn't grow up in a school community that looked like me or had too many shared experiences as me, being a first generation American and also having been a queer young person and being a queer adult today, I didn't see myself reflected in my community. And so when I think about youth organizing and like youth leadership, much more than it being about like political analysis, at the moment for me, it was just about belonging. It was about being with people who I saw myself in, being around people who I wanted to be around. And so belonging has really been like this through line as I've gotten older is like, how do we always return back to that space? Even in talking about like how intricate our criminal legal system is, how do we always bring the conversation back to like, how do we just build space for people to belong to each other for each other? And so I think that that's like a pretty big part of it. A little anecdote that I'll share just about my parents and kind of how they've really influenced my views on restorative justice. When I was 13 years old, I got a dog and. And I was so, so in love with this dog, so happy to have him. And I remember my parents saying, we are going to tell you the rule that we raised you and your brother on, and we hope you raise this dog with that rule. And what they said literally changed my entire life. They said that as we were growing up, if one of them was ever mad at us, the other one had to be at our side and i had never heard something like that before i had never heard something like that and this this idea that like no matter what we will never leave you in complete isolation even if we are frustrated with you even if we are angry at you we will also make sure that somebody is at your side i was like what on earth is this i was like how wild is that and like as a 13 year old that completely changed the way I saw the world around me. It like made me so in tune to the ways that I saw other people experience loneliness or isolation. And from then, I've just always wanted to open up the possibility of like, what if you don't have to go through this alone? And extending to the work I'm doing today, like being in the school to prison pipeline, being involved with our criminal legal system, those can be such isolating experiences. If instead of meeting those experiences with isolation, what happens when we meet them with belonging, meet them with community, meet them with saying, I'm asking you to do better, you hurt me, and also, I refuse to leave you with nobody at your side. When I think about naming a world that I want to move towards, like that very much is it.
2: And I think I resonate with that a lot. Personally, I'm mixed. So I'm like half Hispanic and half Jewish. So it's really hard for me to find that sort of belonging in an actual community. And I think that similarly, that's why I kind of turn to youth politics and student government type positions also. Um, In your bio, it says that you got a master's degree in art politics from Tisch and NYU. I was wondering, can you just like talk about your experience there getting that specific degree and how you continue to incorporate art and expression into the work that you do?
4: The program itself, I think, provided such grounds for just like asking questions. I think a lot of times in the world, people are held with judgment or even with a sense of like exclusion for certain questions that they ask. And if anything, the arts politics space was a space where I could openly ask questions. And I think that to have that in an education, to say it is not designed by like what is written on a chalkboard, but rather it is designed by the questions that you have within you, that was such a different learning atmosphere than I've ever been in before. I think a huge part of that program for me was really owning like my identity as an artist and not saying that me being an artist is dependent on me being on a stage or me having like xyz things on my my artistic resume but really like being an artist is a way that you move through the world it's it's a way of embedding creation and possibility and wonder into everything that you do and so i feel like that that was just like such a turning point for me and understanding that an artist isn't a thing i choose to be at a moment It is. I am. And because of that, I think that comes with a certain responsibility in the world to like make and create and to bring other people into that sense of wonder. Storytelling specifically has become a really important part of my life post that program. There's a lot of art that is being made in the world. And one of my best friends always asks the question after somebody makes something of like, well, where do you see yourself in it? What's your relationship to it? You know, and I do think it's important for me in art to have like a relationship to the thing that I'm making. And when we start with our stories, our own stories, the ways that we've changed, the ways that we've grown, not only are we able to make art that is like in relationship or or relevant to us, but we're able to like create these moments of humanization that are really special And so I create so much art on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of it starts with thinking like, well, who am I today that I wasn't yesterday or last week or last month or, or, or 25 years ago. And then from there saying like, how do I take these real life stories and turn them into dance or movement or music or, or a, or a full fictional production, you know, but it all really starts with these little truths that we find in our lives of just like how have we grown, how have we changed.
1: As much as we fight for change on the bureaucratic and institutional level, change is really like at the end, a matter of the heart. And something I've noticed, especially from interacting with people from so many different backgrounds, is that so much of the bad in our world is simply fueled by misunderstanding. And the huge disconnects in our society. So how do you think you know restorative justice, especially art, as a form of self-expression, has kind of helped bridge that gap? And are there, you know, any particular instances that you can point to?
4: When we look at things like school disciplinary codes, and when we look at things like laws that run our criminal legal system, a lot of what they say is that like in order for society to move forward, we need to be naming people as good and bad or right or wrong, right? And that happens so much. there's people who live their entire lives in fear of like, well, well, if I act in this way, will I be named as one of these things or the other?" And unfortunately, when we look at the landscape of that and how history has impacted that, a lot of that comes down to categories of race and socioeconomic class and queerness and, and gender, you know. It's communities that have experienced marginalization that are continually the ones who aren't privileged to the laws that are naming people as good. And so this question happens of like, well, what happens if generation after generation after generation you are named as bad? That divide of good and bad just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so for me... What storytelling does is it says we don't have to live in a world that is only based on moving forward on good and bad. There's so much space in between. When we are able to actually like engage in the arts, engage in storytelling, what we do is we almost make people forget for a moment that that binary of good and bad exists and we make them believe in everything else, whether it's between those two or even all around this space outside of it. Like we make them believe in something else. And I think that's huge in terms of changing the systems around us is saying like, this idea of constantly naming people as good and bad can only get us so far, right? And if we're actually looking to like, heal relationships or bring each other closer together that naming probably doesn't do much to help that process but when we listen to our stories when we when we engage in that kind of expression it really is able to like say there's so much other space than that that exists
2: i have two little brothers they're in elementary school and they love marvel movies and they love harry potter and star wars historically like those movies there's like an obviously the good guys and the bad guys And then when Infinity War came out and Thanos is like this complex villain, they're asking me like, is he really bad or does he think that he's good? And I'm saying to them, you know, it's not just good guys and bad guys. I try to express that through them at a young age because they're going to grow up thinking that there are bad people in this world that can't be changed or that there are good people in this world that are the only people who can propel our society forward. And I think that such a fantastic thing about restorative justice is that it's so applicable in all aspects of our lives. It's not something that's just for education. It's not something that's just part of criminal justice. It's something that we can ingrain in our cultural movements and the way that we encounter and communicate with other people.
4: Another thing it makes me think about is, for me, restorative justice is about a culture shift, and an easy first step is changing the first question after we like see conflict or harm play out in community. And often that first question that's asked by like our criminal legal system or our education system is, who did what? Right? It's all about assigning an action to a person. But what other questions are there to ask? And so some of them that I'll offer forward are just like, well, what are you experiencing? What's happening in the world that led to this? How do you feel right now? What do you need? <laughs> that simple question of what do you need? A lot of hurt or a lot of harm comes from a place of needs simply not being met. And so there are so many other questions that we can just ask besides who did what that are actually responding to people's like humanity, right? really deeply responding to people's humanity and saying, you have a story. No matter what you did, you have a story. And, and that can come into play as we decide what comes next.
3: In this current political climate, where people are growing increasingly more divided, how do you suggest getting these policies through to people who might not be inclined to those kinds of ideas?
4: You specifically named these policies, but I would say maybe the starting point is in policy right? Maybe the starting point is relationships. There's another healing justice organizer, I founded this space called HALA, how our lives link all together, who who always says this thing that stays in my mind, but it's like a policy can never change your relationship with your mother or your neighbor or that person you don't see eye to eye with, but you can do that. And so for me, it's it's really about starting with the question of like, well, what is my community and who in my community needs a moment of humanization? Who in my community can I work to humanize? And I think that the communities that we belong to, because that word belonging is already there, that serves as the space for learning, right? It serves as a space for us to say, how do we have the tough to have conversations? And then those tough to have conversations that we learn how to have in the spaces where we already find belonging, We learn from there how to have those conversations with elected officials, with people who who look and feel and think completely different than us. And so for me, the learning ground is always who do I think of as my people right now? And also, like, how do I push that definition? How do I always bring more people into that circle of who I consider my people? There's this phenomenon in the United States that I specifically observe that, like, politics has convinced society that society sits within politics. But I am really about like changing that dynamic and saying that politics is actually just an aspect of this larger society. And another aspect of that is actually just like our human relationships that take place on a day-to-day basis.
1: What do you think the future of, you know, whether it's New York or a country or a juvenile justice system, what do you think it needs to look like both on the kind of policy and community level for us to really get to a place where we can foster understanding and empathy?
4: there's a lot of education right now around like restorative justice and anti-racism. Something that I always try to hone in on is that education does not necessarily mean resource change. But those things don't also have to be separate, right? Like I think our calls for education around new ways of responding to one another needs to be accompanied by how do we actually shift resources for people in society? If we understand that a lot of like harm is a result of needs not being met, then how might we resource people in ways who have not been resourced in the past? There's a lot of communities that historically have continually been stripped of resources, of, of housing, of green space, of beautified space, of education space, and so a huge part is just saying, if those needs just have love and attention and resource poured into them, then some of the other things will just start to be fixed, right, or start to change. We need to make the conversation about, like, culture shift and the conversation of resource change, we need to bring those closer together. On another note, I'm super aware of my role in movements at this moment, and I think if I can try to put a name to it, it's that I think any political win can happen in a world, A, where our relationships stay the same or or are worse, or B, in a world where we have done some of that healing work that we are calling for policy to do already. And I'm really interested in, in that path. I'm interested in in the path of political organizing and policy change that actually involves us having to care much more deeply for each other than we've ever asked to before. Because then when the policy change happens, we've already done most of the work. And then the policy change matters much less than like what we've already built together. It really is in people power where we find a lot of that way forward. It seems
2: like restorative justice as... Amazing as it sounds, seems kind of like utopian and like a delicate system, and that of course it needs to be carefully curated and developed to really be flushed out and to be uh, used properly. And I'm usually an optimist, so this is crazy. But scares me that it's so delicate that it may be able to be manipulated or broken easily. So, do you think that it's stable and that it's a realistic option for? restorative justice to be more widely spread and used in our hopefully near future?
4: For me, the starting point of thinking about how restorative justice is implemented, instead of thinking of it on like a large society scale, I like to start thinking of it in like microcosms, right? In like friend groups or in family systems or in classrooms. I think that when it is able to start on a smaller scale, we're able to kind of figure out how it works best and then how to grow out those practices. I think accountability is really, really hard to talk about. We as humans fear that naming that we have created harm for somebody else often positions us in that binary of good and bad. I think for a sort of justice to be built, there's some really serious conversations we need to be having with one another about accountability. What it means to, to name when we've harmed somebody, what it means to take accountability for those actions. And And restorative justice, while it is a a nonviolent mode of of peace building and community storytelling, it's definitely not without discipline. It's hard to sit in community with people and say, I know that what I did was wrong. And I think in order to do that, we, we need to be building community with one another. We need to be talking about what is accountability? When have we experienced it? When have we been held accountable by somebody else? When have we asked somebody for accountability? And I think we need to be actively exchanging stories as to what all of that looks like so that we have a better idea of how to live it. When I see restorative justice working the best, whether it's in classroom spaces or or larger, it's usually because they have explored accountability together.
3: I I want to dive more into what you suggest people our age can do to really jumpstart these conversations to kind of understand and and really start to um, create better community spaces.
4: Well, I think a condition of like conversations around safety right now are very much around like larger like criminal legal definitions of safety, which are often about more surveillance, more policing. But then there's these questions of like, well, what does safety feel like to you? Who are the people you feel safest around? What are the things you feel safest with? Where are the spaces you feel the most safe? I think when we make it about like those questions about like, well, what is your experience around feeling safe rather than like safety as this large thing that is provided for us? We have this starting point of all of this information of the things that actually emotionally are taking care of us. And then the second question can be, well, how do we grow these things? How do we use these things in different ways? How do we use these things in new ways? And so one of the challenges is that like a punitive culture is embedded in our world. And in order to think of something else, we need to be opening up possibilities for us to really consider what else could be. And so I think those questions of like, well, what else could exist? Those questions are always really, really essential in terms, of, in terms of thinking how to grow this practice. When I first like, started to learn and, and deepen my knowledge around legal advocacy, like, this phrase kept coming up of like being a zealous advocate. And for me, what that really means is being unwilling to step away from seeing the humanity and goodness in somebody. And I think we need to be willing to do that more on a day-to-day basis in our communities. I think we need to really be able to like stand up for the goodness and those we see around us, even in the moments when others are naming them as bad. And that takes a lot of courage. There's always a fear in, in doing that kind of advocacy that I myself will be named bad as well. There's also so much possibility on the other side as well. Like The conversations and the questions we ask each other and just orienting them towards possibility is a huge one. I'll also say that like in New York City, there's so many community organizing spaces to get involved with and also community spaces that are really built for different identity groups and different interests from like spaces for youth looking to desegregate New York City schools to youth organizing spaces specifically for young women of color and trans and non-binary young people, organizing spaces for folks living in public housing, organizing spaces for South Asian youth, for Jewish youth. Like there's all of these different specifically designed organizing spaces that that are also in relationship to one another around the city. And I think letting people know that those spaces exist, most of them are free and that all you have to do to engage is is show up. That's also an important part because we can't forget that like our work in this comes from a history of other work. We are a part of of a movement that has years and years and years and decades and decades and decades of history before us and is going to have that continuing ahead. And sometimes when we root ourselves in that history, we're able to find some motivation to move forward.
3: That's all for today with NextGen Politics. Special thanks to our editor Clara Medina, our producer Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic minded. This is Maggie Yu for NextGen Politics.